And the word of the Lord says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But for the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were once disobedient to God but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also, now having been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Lord, let us see the glory of your gospel, the glory of your mystery this morning. Father, we are... Nothing without you. Anything that I say is of no value if it's not from you. And so I pray, Lord, your word would be clear. That you would give me the tongue to speak your words. Father, I admit that I have nothing to give, but you do. I pray that by your spirit you would use me as a vessel to speak to your people. Lord, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by your word. We thank you that you give us your word, that we have it, and we pray that we would not take that for granted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Paul has been arguing in chapter 11, chapter 10, that God is, is not done with Israel. And... That is really important for us as as believers to see this before we get to this passage because he starts this section off with the word for. And as I've told you before in this study of Romans, for, when Paul uses the word in the Greek for for, he's grounding what he's already said. He's making clear what he's already said. So you kind of have to go back to what we've seen especially in verses 21 through 24, to understand why he's saying four. So I, I want to just read really quick, actually starting in verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God, that those who fell, severity, but to you God's, God's kindness. If you continue, continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? So what's Paul's just made this statement? It's a pretty big. Heavy statement. Look, they can be grafted back in. They, they've been cut off, but they can be grafted back in. And so now Paul's going to give us the, the foundation 
for that. And that's what verse 25 and following through 32 is all about. And so he says in verse 25, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed. So Paul's purpose in this section is that the us, the brethren in Rome, and us today would not be uninformed to the mystery of what he's about to say. And what is this mystery? Well, if you, if you kind of skip the middle section in the NASB, I don't know necessarily in the King James how it's ordered, but it's that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Paul often uses this language of mystery throughout his writing, and we see it throughout the New Testament, but I think it's really important that we turn and look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and it's ten verses, but I want to read them quickly. And he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to you, given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read... You can understand, read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. You see, he's, he's saying this was a mystery, it's not anymore. And as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So the Spirit has made known the mystery of the Old Testament, who Jesus is, what Jesus has come to do. They didn't understand that in the Old Testament, many. They were looking to the Messiah. And they, they, they have heard the gospel now. But now we are seeing that this mystery is no longer a mystery. To be specific, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was the mystery. The Jews did not know this. They did not understand what Jesus, what God had said in the Old Testament about bringing the Gentiles in, the people who were not a people, and making them His people. And so, this was the specific mystery that He's talking about of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring light to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden In God who created all things, so that, with the purpose that, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. So, we as a church are demonstrating this mystery of God's grace, the inclusion of the Gentiles, and so... I think that Paul is referencing this 
And I think it makes it he makes it clear here in verse um, twenty five when he explains what that mystery is that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So the mystery that he wants them to know is not necessarily that the Jews are being cut off. That's not the mystery he's talking. He's talking about the fact that Gentiles are being brought in right then and there and today until there is a fullness, until the elect of God of the Gentiles have been brought in. The Gentiles, this word Gentiles is not just, it's the word ethnos, which is where we get our word ethnicity. So, when we think of the word Gentile in the Greek, this word could mean all people. So until all people, all of the world has come, those who God has called have come in. They have been partially hardened. And why does he want us, why does he want to tell them this? Why is it so important that they know this mystery? And he says this right here in the middle of the in the passage. He says, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. The purpose of them knowing this mystery, of him sharing this mystery with the Roman brothers, is so that they will not think of them as themselves as more highly than they should. Oh, we're something. We kind of talked about this last week. Oh, we're on the vine now. You're not. Right? To think that we're something. And so Paul is sharing this truth for the purpose that we don't think we're something. That we're not looking at ourselves, oh, look look at that nice-looking young man or woman in the mirror. No. God is saying, look, this is all my plan. I have partially hardened Israel for your sake. It's not been because you believed at first. It's because I worked in you. I brought you to myself so that you would believe. So this mystery has two parts. It's really important that we see this. The fullness of Gentiles has come. And and this idea of the fullness of the Gentiles, if you look with me at Luke chapter 21, because Jesus used this exact expression here when he was talking about the end of the world, the end of time. He'd been asked by those that were following him, what are the signs of the times? What are, what is a picture of the time ending? And in Luke 21, and I'll I'll start with verse, sorry, I lost my place here. I'll start in verse 21. He says, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in this country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. So 
Jesus is talking about the end. All things will be fulfilled. Everything. Not just partial fulfillment. Full fulfillment. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land and wrath to his people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and they will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, or we could translate that, the nations, the peoples of the earth, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When that time happens, it's a chronological moment, historical moment that will will come. When that happens, it will end. No more. The, the, The fulfillment or the fullness of the Gentiles will come. But what we have to realize is when the fullness comes... Two things will change. Because what does he talk about here? He says that they have been hardened. But not just hardened. He says what? Partially hardened. That's one. They have been partially hardened. That means that some are coming in. Like, if you look back at The first verse of chapter 11, he says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So what is he saying? Look, this hardening is only partial. There are Jews who are coming in today, when Paul wrote, today as we stand here and hear the word of God, there are Jews Ethnic Jews who are coming to Jesus by faith. But this partial hardening is temporal. It's temporary. It's not a long term. It's not going to continue. It will end. It is temporary. And how do we know that? Because when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. What does that mean? That means that when this hardening has ended, God will save His people. And that's why today's title is All Israel Will Be Saved. So, Israel has been hardened partially and temporarily up to this moment. But one day, when all the Gentiles have come in, this word in is like the word to enter in. When all the Gentiles have entered into the kingdom of God, when all the nations, all the peoples who God has elected to come in by faith, when they have come in, the fullness of Gentiles will have come. They have entered into His kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ and so all Israel will be saved. 
So, the question that many people have is, well, what does he mean by Israel? This is the debate. If you know either side, maybe you haven't heard either side. But the question is always, who is Israel? Because that's important. And I think it's really difficult to take the stance that Israel is the church. And I'll tell you why. Why in the world, in verse 25, would God, through Paul, be showing Israel versus Gentiles, or Israel versus the nations? And then suddenly, in verse 26, say, and so all Israel will be saved, speaking of the church. Because in a theological system called covenantalism, they believe that the church is Israel, that the church supersedes Israel. And I don't agree with that, and this is an exact case of why. Because I don't believe we can take Israel here and substitute, and so all the church will be saved. Because throughout these passages, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, Paul has been talking about them as separate ethnic peoples. Because every time Paul refers to Gentiles, he uses the Greek word ethne, which is, what did I say? It's the same word we get ethnic, which some people now translate race, which is not true, right? Because race would mean that they're not human. I know that doesn't, that's not popular today. That's why I don't, I think many of us are biased to a certain ethnicity, but Racism would be saying, I don't like horses. (laughs) Because horses are a different race. That's a side point. But all that to say, Paul is using the word ethne, which is translated Gentiles. And is translated nations and peoples throughout the New Testament. That's really important for us to see. Why would he use that word if he's talking about something other than Israel, and then use the word Israel to refer to the church, which is made up of all people. Right? Because, let me prove this, this is the result of God's perfect plan. So turn with me really quick quick, to Revelation chapter 7. One of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of what Christ has done and the result of His work. And after these things, verse 9, chapter 7, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. Can you imagine? Just imagine standing on the highest mountain and there's no clouds and seeing a horde of people that you could not count. Or just go to the beach and try to count the sand. From every nation, that's the word ethne, okay? And all tribes and peoples and tongues 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine that picture? I've been in a picture like that when I went to um, Brooklyn Tabernacle. People, we were surrounded by people from all different nations. And I, I told Megan after going, that's what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be a brother from Africa here, a brother from Korea, from China, from Russia, from just name the nation. Someone will be there. There is no ground in the Christian faith for racism, if you want to call it that, or ethnic hate for any other nation. Because Christ has called all men not every single man, but men from all nations. What does it say? All tribes and peoples and tongues. There, are, Today, there are over 6,000 spoken languages in the world. So a person from every one of those. And that's not even counting the languages that have disappeared I don't know. I don't know what heaven's going to look like, but I have a guarantee that it's not going to look like you or me. We're we're all coming because of God's grace, and we're going to look out and see the beautiful majesty of who God is. But I want us to see that that word translated from every nation that is describing God's people. Not Israel specifically. And so I don't, I don't believe that we can translate or take the word Israel in, in verse 26 and say, well, that, that's talking about the church. I don't, I don't think so. So, what, what does Paul mean when he says, and so all Israel will be saved? Well, the verb here, so, that's translated so, would be better translated in this manner will all Israel be saved. And this is the idea that God, when the fullness of the Jews or the Gentiles, the the nations, has come, Israel will then be saved in this manner. At the end, and a, a good commentator on this, Douglas Moo, he said, As Paul has repeatedly shown, the manner in which God will bring Israel to salvation is at the last stage in a historical process. I think that is really helpful for understanding what Paul is saying here. When the fullness of Gentiles has come, God will open the eyes of all of Israel. Now, The debate is, what does all mean? That's another debate. I'm not sure what I understand all to mean here. Because all could mean every single Jew alive at that moment. Or it could be the majority of Jews 
sufficient to say the, the ethnicity of Jews. I don't think it's important that we fight over that, to be honest. But a sufficient amount of Jews that it is the majority of Jews will be saved in the end. And it's not just because they're racially, as some people say, or ethnically Jewish. It is because God will open their eyes and they will believe, right? Because if you go back up, what does he say? Not, not in this section of the reading, but in verse 23 he says, And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted back in. That's verse 23. I think that's, some people want to th- take this verse and they say, well, all Israel will be saved, despite faith or not. No, all of God's people who are standing before the throne in that picture in Revelation chapter 7, are going to be there because of faith. Not because of being a Jew, not because they're a Gentile, but because God chose them and gave them faith to believe. God requires faith. Why? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I guarantee you, no one will be in heaven who has not is not pleasing to God. Right? That's Hebrews chapter 11. God cannot stand that. So, that's a pretty strong statement followed by a quote from Isaiah 59. I think it's important we read this here. It says, The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove or banish, that's another word that can be used here, banish ungodliness from Jacob. Now, what is who is Jacob? What was his name Israel but Jacob always referred to the people of Israel this is my covenant with them when i take away their sins why is paul using this passage he's saying in the end this is what's going to happen at the end of time jews who are still living will come to christ And that deliverer from Zion will remove ungodliness from them and will take away their sins. Well, look with me at what Isaiah says. Because Paul doesn't quote the entire section here, and I think it's important we see that. Isaiah 59, verse 20 and 21. So Paul changes the wording a little bit, but it's, it gives us the same sense. He says in Isaiah fifty nine twenty, A Redeemer will come to Zion. We know who that is. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord, 
As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. So Paul adds a little different phrasing, but his point is, I think we see here that there is a repentance Right? We see that the Jews repent of their sins. And God puts His Spirit upon them and His words in them. Not just for their, them and their offspring, but their offspring's offspring now and forever. There will be no end to God's cleansing of Jacob. This is the picture of the end. How Paul sees it. We can say, well, Paul, you're messing up the quote. No, Paul, either Paul was inspired by the Spirit or he wasn't. If he's inspired by the Spirit, then we need to adjust what we think about a passage to what Paul is saying about that passage. So Paul is making an argument for the fact that the fullness of the Gentiles will come and then all Israel will be Saved. And then, in verse 28 through 32, Paul gives us two reasons why not only why all Israel will be saved. Two reasons. First, God's election is irrevocable. Verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So, if we look at the gospel, they're enemies. At this moment, at that moment in time, the Jews were enemies of the gospel. Why? They hated Christ. Majority, not all. They wanted Him dead. The the high priests, the leaders of the Jews wanted Him dead. But, listen, but... From the standpoint of God's choice, or that word choice could be translated election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. What fathers? The forefathers. That's what that word fathers really means, the forefathers. Who is he talking about? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve tribes. So God's choice began then. When He chose Abraham, God had chosen His people. Not based on works, because if I think I've proven this, Abraham was not chosen because he was a saintly figure. I think often we, we want to paint Abraham as a man without sin, but he was there with his father worshiping other deities, when God called him. He didn't deserve to be called. Isaac wasn't perfect. Jacob was definitely not perfect. I mean, if you were going to pick a son, I would have picked Esau. I mean, he was a hunter. He could make a good stew. Um, I mean, Jacob was a homebody. He, he didn't like to work hard. And 
He got everything he did, he got early on in life by trickery and cheating. But God didn't call them because they were perfect. He called them because he wanted to. So God's election made them beloved because of the forefathers, because of their physical generation. And, verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I want you to take, think a picture here. If I write you a check for $20,000 and you take it to the bank, can I make that check void before you get there? Yeah, I can call my bank, hey, check number da-da-da is bad, don't. Somebody stole it, they wrote a name on it, and it's not true. Okay, I may have to pay 10 bucks or something to cancel that check, but I can cancel that check. Now, if I go to the bank and buy a cashier's check with your name on it, and I give it to you, can I revoke that? No. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God has written out a cashier's check to the fathers, speaking to his people Israel, and he cannot take it back, because then God would not be, not be the God of his word. God is just like that. He has written a cashier's check, and you can't revoke it. That's why you don't send money, Western Union, to somebody you don't know. Why? Because you can't get that money back. That's why all the scammers want you to send them money, Western, oh yeah, I'll ship you that car tomorrow. I'm sure you've encountered that if you've ever done car shopping online. Somebody trying to sell you a car that seems a lot less expensive than it should be. I had that happen once. Thankfully, I didn't send any money. But I was this close till I went to the bank, and the bank was like, you should probably not do that. <laughs> Thankfully, I listened. But God is not wanting to take back His promise. His choice of Israel, the choice of His people, Israel, it's irrevocable. We don't use this word very often anymore because everything is revocable now. You can take it back. I mean, you, you say promise to, to pay somebody, well, you can go bankrupt. Technically, that's revocable, right? There's so much in this life that we can take back, but God is a God of His Word. He's not a man that he should lie. And when he says something, he is faithful to do it. And what is Paul t- referring to? He's referring back to Isaiah 59. That is a promise, an irrevocable promise to Israel. There are irrevocable promises to us, right? All the promises of God are in him, Jesus Christ. Yes and amen. They're irrevocable. So the gifts 
This is the same word, charisma. The gifts and the calling of God. Calling, election. God doesn't take them back. He bestows them on us without a return order. He doesn't loan them to us. He doesn't loan them to the Jews. He didn't loan them to the Jews. Secondly, so not only is are the, all the Jews going to be saved, all of Israel going to be saved because of God's irrevocable election, they will also... be saved because God determined to have mercy on all. That's the end of verse 32. But let's get there. For just as you once were disobedient to God, verse 30, all of us, there's not a single person here today or listening online, we're in a podcast eventually, who weren't disobedient. Just ask. If your parents are still alive, I could ask them. Your wife can ask her. Your husband, ask him. Your children. We can all find someone to implicate you in a crime against God. Right? We were all disobedient at one point in time. But now, so Paul is here in verse 30, he's really kind of reiterating what he's already said in, verse, in chapter 11. But now, having been shown mercy because of their disobedience. We were, we were disobedient to God at one point. We were hating God, doing what we wanted. But God, through the disobedience of Israel, has brought mercy to you and I. That's pretty much, that's, a, that's like a summary of what we had last week, right? God showed mercy to us because of the disobedience of Israel. So, in light of that, that summary there, so these also now have been disobedient in this moment in time, that, that moment in time, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. And Paul's reiterating the fact that God has shown mercy to these disobedient Jews by showing us mercy, that God is going to use it to bring them to jealousy. We talked about that. Jealous of God's grace shown to us to draw them, drawing that remnant we talked about. There's a remnant that's being drawn right now, every day. Believers from Jewish backgrounds coming to Christ. They're being moved to jealousy, seeing the truth of the gospel in the Old Testament, and then God opening their eyes to faith in Jesus. So, God showed mercy to us through their disobedience. 
And then us receiving that mercy has shown them mercy. So to encapsulate those two, God, verse 32, has shut up all in disobedience. Why? For what purpose? So that He may show mercy to all. See, God's, God is allow, has allowed the disobedience of the Jews not to cut them off. Not to say, You're, I'm done with you. He's done it so that all... Who do you think He's talking about? All men... Every single man? No. All of his elect will receive mercy. Jew and Gentile. I hope that makes sense. We were disobedient once. But because the Jews refused to obey the gospel, refused to believe the gospel... God showed us mercy. The gospel was spread to us. Just like I showed you last week, Paul would always preach at the synagogue. They would kick him out. And guess who got the benefit of that? The Gentiles. They started hearing the gospel and they started believing. And the Jews got jealous and tried to kick Paul out. I mean, multiple times stoned and kicked out of city. So those who now, I mean, there are many Jews today that are still disobedient to God, disobedient to the gospel, just as there are Gentiles who are disobedient peoples, nations. But because of the mercy shown to us, they will now receive mercy. Not, not because we're the carrier of mercy. This was God's plan the whole time to use their disobedience as a means of spreading the gospel to all nations, people, tribes, and tongues. And then as the gospel is ending, as men are coming to Christ and the fullness of the Gentiles has come, that mercy will be returned to His people Israel as God opens their eyes to believe and be saved. So, while it seems like this disobedience God has shut people up in, kind of like the prison of disobedience seems to be terrible right now, God has a purpose in it. His purpose is to show mercy to all men, men from every tribe, tongue, and nation, including the Jews. All Israel will be saved in the end. All of God's elect will come. God has chosen and He will bring it about. We don't know who God has chosen, right? We, we can look around and say, well, they seem to be following Christ. They seem to have the fruits of the Spirit. And we can kind of guess. But with some people, we don't know. Really, we don't. Or some people are like, there's no way God is working in that person but we don't know till the end has come till we see what if they die in sin well that it's pretty easy to to guess that but as long as they have life and breath there is hope 
So what do we come away with today? I mean, this is great a great message, I think, about for the Jews to know that in the end God will save His people. He's not done with them. I think for us as Christians it should encourage us that when God calls us, He's not going to revoke our calling because we've fallen into sin. Does that mean we stay in sin? No. Because what do we see in Isaiah 59? God works in them so that they repent of their sins. So even when we fall away, God will work in us to bring about repentance so that we will be saved. God doesn't give up because we forget who He is, what He's done, His love for us. God is constantly working in us. We don't know if we've been born again, necessarily. We believe scriptures like 1 John 5. But we by faith believe that we've been born again. And we walk in that. And we ask God to give us strength to walk with Him. So, how do we apply this? How... You know, tomorrow, how does this message affect your life? My life. Don't be disobedient. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest point that we can see. Live in the mercy of God, and that requires obedience. Their disobedience brought mercy to others. Right? But that doesn't mean we go out and, and, uh, Let's see, see how belligerent and mean and nasty we can be. No, we, we need to be obedient to what God has called us to. To be obedient, not disobedient. Secondly, this is, I think, in every message that I've preached lately, share the good news. Because we don't know who the people that we're encountering tomorrow, how many of them are God's chosen ones? Maybe they're a part of the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the nations, the fullness of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Maybe one day, somebody that you encounter tomorrow will be standing before the throne of God, praising God together with you. And what a great joy that would be to share that with them. So, share your faith. And I know that I, I, maybe I, I say this too much, but I think it's something we all struggle with. I know I do, so I, I don't think uh, I'm a, a rare person there. Share the gospel. Don't sugarcoat it. The world is hopeless. I mean, look... All you got to do is take five seconds on Facebook and boom, you realize the world is pretty bad. Watch, watch any news channel. The world is falling apart. People are looking for hope and we have it. We have hope because we know that Jesus died for us. We have seen God's mercy. God can take away our sins and the guilt that we feel, the Shame we feel can be taken away 
So share your faith. And lastly, trust God. Trust God because His election is irrevocable. We may feel like we have cut ourselves off. There's no way that God could love us anymore. I mean, this passage should guarantee you you don't believe that anymore because of all people, the people of Israel have constantly rejected God throughout the Old Testament. God drew them back, rejected him, drew him back, rejected him. And yet, in the end, God will save all of Israel who are alive. Isn't that a a promise of God's care for His people? Don't quit. Trust God. So again, obey. Don't be disobedient. Share your faith, because we don't know who God has chosen. And, And lastly, trust God. Because God, when He says something, it's irrevocable. It's a cashier's check. You can take it to the bank, and they'll give you your money. It's not one of those rubber ones that you sometimes get from a customer or a friend or even family. That has value. Just like giving you a dollar. If I give you a hundred dollar bill, you can go spend that just about anywhere. Not nowadays. Some businesses aren't taking cash, but um, most anywhere you can go spend that. God's word can be trusted. Next time, I'm really excited about verses 33 through 35 because this is the culmination. I believe this is the adoration that should come from what we've read thus far in Romans 1 through 11. This should be the praises that come out of our mouth at the wondrous, glorious gospel of Christ. So next time we're going to do a very quick overview of everything Paul has said. Very quick. I know that's hard to believe, but I just want us to, I don't want us to lose track of what Paul has said because when we get to chapter 12, we need to be reminded of those things. And we need to see how glorious what Paul has said, why he would say what he says in verse 33 through 36. Because what I read there is beautiful, I think. Maybe, maybe I'm strange and I need to have my head checked, but I don't think so. So, I would encourage you this week to read through Romans up to chapter 12. Just read through it once, twice, however many times. And just remember all that Paul has said. All that God has shown us in these... I mean, I don't know how long have I been... Was it? Did we start in October? So, not quite a year, but... All this time, God has been showing us things from Romans that have encouraged me and, and pushed me forward. And, and I pray that when we get to verse 33 through 36, we're all excited about what God has done for us. And then when we get to verse 12, chapter 12, we begin to live in light of that. So let's pray and we'll have...
ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we praise you that your word is irrevocable, that what you say will come to pass. When you call your people, you don't take it back. Lord, help us to live faithful, to be obedient to your word, obedient to you, desiring to please you, Lord. Cause us to speak your truth to the nations, to share the good news of Jesus with this lost and dying, hopeless world. Help us to be carriers of your mercy. Your Holy Spirit would speak through us to those around us. Lord, help us to trust you. We thank you that you don't give up on your people. You haven't given up on Israel. You have a plan in place, a great mystery up until now, Lord. We'll see that one day. One day we will stand before your throne. All people, tribes, tongues, glorifying you and praising you. Lord, give us a love for one another. No matter the color of our skin, the accent we may have, the family we grew up with, Lord, but that we would love you. And because you have loved all men, we too would love all men. Pour out your Spirit this week in our lives. Pour it out on this church. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. We praise you, Father, and we trust that you will be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.